The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 482 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Our very special uh, guest this week is Sebastian Ospina, who joins us from Interlaken in Switzerland. Thank you to Jonathan Munoz for putting us into contact. Uh, Sebastian is a world champion parasender, or parasending is his sport. He's Colombian, originally from the region of Armenia, uh, but he flies for Team GB in competitions, in international competitions. So we'll hear all about that and how, of course, the sport evolves and what is the sport? How do they possibly give you a medal for this? I don't know. I mean, that this is what has to be, this is what has to be explained by Sebastian there and how someone makes a living by parasending and so on. So really interesting conversation, a nice, uh, pleasant story from Colombia, about Colombia, about a Colombian uh, here on this week's Colombia Calling podcast, because next week we come back with, well, some a pretty uh, serious, uh, serious episode with Ricardo Cubides talking about uh, paramilitarism in the area of the Canal del Dique. So that's an area near to Cartagena. Uh, of course, completely overlooked and unfortunately in the news for all the wrong reasons. And uh, Ricardo is the director for the Caribbean region of CODES, which is uh, an NGO, Colombian NGO. And he's only talking to us because he talks. he's getting to talk in English. Were it in Spanish, he would not give the interview. But that's next week. This week is Sebastian Ospina talking about uh, parasending and the life as a parasending expert in Switzerland and flying for TGB. Thank you to all of you who signed up on patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling to support us. We've had a couple of new Patreons. And indeed, you do get most episodes a week early of, via our uh, channel on YouTube. So if you are a Patreon, that is one of your perks alongside alongside uh, other things such as tote bags and uh, sweatshirts and so on and so forth, should you uh, well, pledge more. Anyhow, uh, so Emily and I are, of course, incredibly grateful to all of you for this. And now we'll go over to Emily with the news and then come back with Sebastian Ospina in Interlaken, Switzerland, talking about the life and times of being a parasending expert. So thank you again. And don't go away. 
The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's www.columbiacalling.co, or the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's www.bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive Colombian adventure. So that's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your headlines for the week of August 14th, 2023. One of Colombia's most notorious warlords has been sentenced to 45 years in prison in the United States. Dairo Antonio Usuga, known as Otoniel, was leader of armed group the Clan del Golfo, and had a criminal career which spanned decades and various groups across the political and criminal spectrum, including both guerrilla and paramilitary. He is responsible for numerous war crimes, genocides and murders, but his conviction in a New York court was on drug trafficking charges, namely the importation of around 100,000 kilograms of cocaine into the USA. Meanwhile, Otoniel has faced none of the 122 open criminal proceedings against him in Colombia, due to his extradition to the USA in 2021, despite attempts by his Colombian victims to keep him in the country to face justice here and give testimony relating to the Colombian armed conflict. Colombia's Attorney General Francisco Barbosa has accused guerrilla group the ELN, the Ejército de Liberación Nacional, of an assassination plot against him. Evidence has emerged of an apparent payment of 3 billion pesos for the attack, and the snipers due to be involved have also been identified. The plan reportedly also included the murder of right-wing Senator Maria Fernanda Cabal and retired Army General Eduardo Zapatero. The ELN say that the accusation is false, calling it an attempt to sabotage ongoing peace talks during the ceasefire. Barbosa has been among the most vocal critics of the government's policy of total peace. The ELN, however, violated the ceasefire six times in the first ten days, Colombia's armed forces have reported. Nevertheless, the fourth round of peace talks will begin this week in Venezuela. Additionally, a date has been set for negotiations with FARC dissident group the Estado Mayor Central starting on September 17th. A dialogue table will be set up and a six-month bilateral ceasefire will begin the same day. And the Odebrecht scandal continues in Colombia with the announcement that Grupo Aval and Corfi Colombiana will be sanctioned by the USA for violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act 
via bribes to Colombian officials. The U.S. says there were at least $28 million in illicit payments with the knowledge, approval and assistance of the former president of Corfi Colombiana. Both companies are listed on the New York Stock Exchange and thus are subject to U.S. law. For this reason, Corfi Colombiana will pay $20 million U.S. million to the Department of Justice. Grupo Aval will pay a further $40 million. Meanwhile, President Gustavo Petro has been in Brazil at the Summit of Amazonian Countries, where he decried climate denialism from elements of the political left in the region and continued to advocate suspending hydrocarbon exploration and exploitation. This is the first summit in 14 years for the eight-nation group, which was set up in 1995. The summit is also being seen as a dress rehearsal for the 2025 United Nations Climate Talks. The host, President of Brazil, Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, called on the European Union to stop making promises and deliver funds to the countries which protect the Amazon. The official statement also called on the global north to accelerate decarbonisation of economies and to implement a mechanism for swapping public debt for climate action commitments. The summit has, however, faced much criticism regarding the lack of concrete proposals, particularly around the failure to unite around promises to end deforestation, leaving countries instead to pursue individual deforestation goals. Meanwhile, Colombia's new Minister of Mines and Energy has announced that the country's oil exploration will continue, saying that it is key to the transition period, which must take place hand-in-hand with the oil industry. In the same week, Ecopetrol announced that a significant new oil deposit has been found in Putumayo. 100 social leaders have been killed in Colombia this year, according to Human Rights Watch. The majority of those murders in Cauca, Antioquia and Nariño. Community and political leaders are the most threatened. Warnings are also starting to be made about security in relation to upcoming local elections. The National Registrar and Ombudsman have warned this week of pressure from armed groups, both on candidates and on voters. And the assassination of Ecuadorian presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio was reportedly perpetrated by Colombian nationals, six of whom are currently detained, though the intellectual authors of the murder are still being pursued. The detained men are members of organised crime groups, according to Ecuadorian police. Vicencio was a vocal critic of corruption and organised crime. He was killed on Wednesday in Quito, just two weeks before Ecuador's elections. He had built his career as a journalist by exposing corruption in the government of former president Rafael Correa. The media in Ecuador have called the assassination a Colombianization of Ecuadorian politics. Others are calling Ecuador the new Colombia, harking back to the political and mafia violence of the late 1980s and early 1990s, when five presidential candidates were assassinated. Current President Guillermo Lasso said that the crime was clearly an attempt to sabotage the elections, but that voting would go ahead as planned this Sunday, though amid a national state of emergency. A new poll by Invamer, Colombia's most trusted pollsters, has measured Petro's disapproval at 61%, more than 40% higher than in August 2022 when he took office. His approval rating is now at 33%. Those were your headlines for this week. Thanks for listening.
And we're back. This is Columbia Calling, episode 482. I'm Richard McCall, back in Bogota after several weeks in the soporific heat of Mombos. My very special guest this week is no less than Sebastian Ospina. Now, he may not be a household name to many of you, but he is really a Colombian hero in the world of how do we say it? Parapente, parapentism. Uh, he is. Uh, he's yeah. there. <laughs> he is in Switzerland, where he lives. He's been a you know a, a, a Colombian champion. He's won the Open, the North American Open. He's won the British Open for parapente. Well, let's just say, I mean, welcome on the Columbia Calling Podcast, Sebastian. Hello, Richard. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I'm very excited to have a nice chat with you. <laughs> yeah. Now you've got great English, and I understand that you lived in England for quite some time. You're originally from like Armenia, but you've lived in England, and now you're living in Switzerland. Yeah. So I I grew up in Armenia, Kindio. Uh, then at the age of seventeen, I moved to the UK, where I lived in London for a bit. Then I lived uh, in Brighton as well. Um. And eventually I got fed up of not having mountains nearby and moved to the Swiss Alps in uh, 2014, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah it's great. Well, of course. I mean, there's, I mean, we don't even really have mountains in the, in the British Isles. Uh, what, what are called mountains? They're not really mountains when they're compared to the uh, Andes in Colombia or even, you know, let's say the rolling hills in the Eje Cafetero. For someone who who is a who, you know loves and lives through paragliding and parascending and parapente and everything else, you have to have hills. So Switzerland sounds like a good good idea. Absolutely, I don't regret that decision for even a minute. Uh, I really enjoy being here. Uh, however, the UK was a, a great place to be. Uh, I really love the people, the sense of humor and. <laughs> and uh, actually flying there was not too bad when you had the right weather yeah well, you the problem that. is having the right weather <laughs> <sighs> yeah i mean i guess you can't go yeah well true i used to i used to parasend a fair bit back when i was a teenager we used to go out to wales for some of their hills and that was fun um but then i stopped i had an accident in bolivia over Lake Titicaca, that was another one that I was like, I don't really want to repeat. I'll find that film somewhere. Someone's got it recorded. But so tell us a little bit, Sebastian. It's an amazing, it's an amazing possibility. It's an amazing opportunity you've had is to become a professional athlete in this sport. And how how did you get involved in this? From the very I mean, I guess you started age 14 back where you you know where you're from but how do you do you get spotted as by someone saying you know you are going to be good at this this is the way you should go or or is it just you know getting involved in competitions how does it work <laughs> that's a good question so i learned to fly at a very young age uh, much earlier than the average person so um when you learn something when you're young, you kind of pick up on things uh, a little bit quicker and better. Um, I did my first competition at age 16, and I did pretty well uh, straight away. I didn't expect that. So uh, that certainly gave me the urge to keep competing. Mm -hmm. and however, my mother, she told me that I would not be leaving from paragliding. 
<laughs> that I had to study. Uh, in a way, she was right because what she saw at the time is that paragliding was not really a very stable job, and I wouldn't have much of a future if I did it. So, um, okay, fair enough. I, I went to the UK. I did my studies. I studied the television production. Um, while I was studying, I was still doing my competitions, uh, became Colombian champion, and I would say that from that moment is when I started to get noticed a bit more, and then I got approached by the biggest um, uh, paragliding magazine out there, cross country magazine, and um, they offered to to sponsor me a little bit, you know, with registration fees and merch and whatever they could um, help out with. And um, and thus it started um, kind of uh, doing more competitions and uh, getting more and more noticed. But it was a very slow process, yeah. I would say. It took me um, more years than many people to get to where I am, but it has been a very steady, um, steady-based uh, process. Yeah. And, yeah. So were you able to like work in TV production and do competitions? I mean, you were able to exercise some of the stuff you studied and make your mother happy? <laughs> so mm, not really, not much. <laughs> uh, I finished my studies um, in 2013. I must have worked for maybe two or three projects uh, out there in London. Uh, and then I pretty much decided to take, um, let's say, a gap summer, like a sabbatical summer in the Alps. Uh, I came over to the Alps and I had a lot of flying done. I learned to fly the Alps even better. And eventually I decided I wanted to stay. So I found the opportunity to to get a tandem license, fly passengers out here, fly lots of tourists. So I, I, I got the tandem license. I got a job straight away and decided to stay here in Switzerland in Interlaken. Um, it's, it's, it's been a really good journey. Um, first of all, because where I live is is quite a hub for champions. So, you know, there are many former world champions around me. So a lot of people that I can learn from. Mm. A very intricate conditions that uh, push me to understand the uh, the areology and the meteorology and everything a little better. Um, so it's, it's really helped to shape the pilot I am, but it's a lot thanks to being able to, to, to work here for sure. Yeah. It's, I, I want to get into that in a little bit, but I, I'm fascinated by the idea that, you know, I, I assume, you know, it's kind of one of these extreme sports where companies, like you said, the magazine, saw you offered to sponsor you it's good it's a it's a good income obviously not probably not enough to live on but it helps you with the registration and stuff are you i mean do you get people like who 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 get sponsorship from big companies like red bull because i know they get involved in these kind of things or i don't know maybe are there other companies such as like nike or adidas or sports retailers because you know, I guess this is what you aim for, isn't it? The big sponsorship uh, deals. Yeah, they used to happen a bit more than they do now. And for sure, Red Bull is uh, 
probably the main sponsor for individual athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a handful of athletes that are sponsored by Red Bull. Uh, for sure, they look at um, you know how how media friendly are you and what kind of projects are you to to push. So they only they don't only look at competitions, but they they they, they they're also looking at um, adventure spirits, uh, people that uh, you know can really show you a good moment uh, on the camera. Yeah. Um, so Red Bull is definitely one of them. I would say the other main brands, not so much. It's really hard to sell paragliding, to be mm. honest. Uh, most because people it, don't understand it. Yeah, it's not. I mean, no, it's not and, a mass uh, sport. I mean, it's not a massive, massive sport. So it's, it's it's not a massive sport, and um, it's not something people can relate to. So, mm. for instance, football, uh, people can relate to it pretty easily because anyone can kick the ball. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but it's basically that. Um, and paragliding, you have to get a license. It's all very intricate. You have to understand the weather, aerodynamics, and so on and so on. So most people don't understand what's going on in the sky. They just see a pretty thing going on, but not much further than that. So they, because of that, it's quite hard to find sponsors outside of the paragliding niche. Yeah, And in fact, my sponsors are in the paragliding niche, so I'm currently sponsored still by this magazine, by Cross Country. And, and they, I recently um, I got, I got support also from the biggest paragliding brand, also on paragliders. Um, but it's, it's, those are the main ones, really. Like it's, it's a very niche thing to do. Um, of course, if you are trying to push projects from movies or this type of thing, uh, you stand a chance to get like a one-off with a big company, but um, the, the the big sponsorships aside from Red Bull don't seem to last too too long because no. of the, the, the people not uh, not understanding what's going on too much. So you you have to be media friendly. You have to be photogenic. You have to be very skilled. There's a whole load of things here. Uh, that that apply if you're going to get the sponsorship. Fortunately, you've got the sponsorship. So that leads me to say, what happens to, re- you know, when you retire from uh, from competitions? What what happens to you as a as a paraglider? Well, uh, competitions are actually more of an opportunity cost for me than they are like my main income. Okay. So uh, let's say. Is is basically my hobby, really. I don't okay. live from competition. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Sometimes <laughs> I wish I did, some, but in, in in other ways, I'm happy I don't. Uh, so my main source of income is just basically flying tourists uh, year-round here in Italy, like in Switzerland, okay. where uh, I can choose to work whenever I want, and um, it's very flexible, so I can yeah. take time away to do competitions. And... And the comps are just more or less my pastime, my way to stay current, to my motivation, and um, my way to learn, to, yeah. to, to keep engaged. Yeah. And uh, maybe a little bit of income, but, uh, yeah. but not, it, not very significant. So, so how much, for example, for the, like the, you won the British Open 
in 2019. And we'll ask you about the different disciplines in a minute. But to, if you win the British Open, how, how much is the prize money for that kind of thing? Zero. <laughs> no! Yeah. What about yeah, the North American? You won the North American. Surely they give you some yeah. money. No, zero. So zero. Yeah. What? I think uh, I think the most I've won from a competition. Uh, let me just try and think. I went to some random competition in Guatemala where I got two thousand dollars <laughs> for being third, uh, and it was basically a very tiny competition, more or less low level. Uh, someone with. Uh, Good money wanted to help out the sport, and uh, yeah. even I got an invitation, so I didn't have to pay for anything. And that's a must again. So really, there is no money prices in the sport. Yeah. And uh, if there is any money coming in, it's mainly from sponsors or yeah something like that. So you, you went to Guatemala, and I guess they've got you to go off the volcanoes. Uh, I wish. <laughs> we have gone off a volcano, but I did fly over uh, a volcano okay. at some point during one of the that, flights, that, which was amazing. That's what I could imagine is that somewhere the volcanoes, because again, the mountains aren't that big. There, <laughs> you know. So, um, okay, so you, I mean, you obviously your income is taking tourists and so on. Now, I, obviously, all of us have seen images and film of of. Uh, paragliding because of course it's just yeah. one of it's it's very visual and we see tiktok and we see youtube and we see everything else uh but people do not understand the complexity of understanding the weather and i think you're in a place like interlaken obviously mountainous they're all different types of um thermals and wind speeds and variables uh, I sometimes when I look at some of these videos, they make me feel a bit queasy because I just think when you're getting closer to the mountain walls and stuff, there must be a whole different set of of rules when it comes to the weather and how to control it. Perhaps you could tell us a bit. You know, when we see these really what look to be really risky flights next to next to the mountain walls or cliff walls, what what what's going through your head? Well, what's going through my head is don't die. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's very engaging because um, how can I say? If you, I'm, I'm more afraid of the easy flight than mm -hmm. I am of the this sketchy looking terrain because I know when I fly uh, next to these cliffs or or some glacier somewhere in the Alps. I know I'm so engaged into survival mode that uh, most likely nothing will happen because I will not let something happen. And on the other hand, if you are flying, let's say, over some beautiful coffee plantations in Armenia or something like this, uh, and it's all looking pretty nice and mellow, and <laughs> that to me is more dangerous because you can become a bit more complacent and relax a bit much and not care too much. And uh, uh, I, I've, I've seen really bad things happen when conditions are easy, when the day is easy, precisely because uh, people get complacent. So uh, when when I'm flying next to these rocky walls, I'm just thinking of surviving while enjoying the moment, while 
keeping an eye and analyzing absolutely everything around me uh, regarding winds, uh, maybe other paragliders, cables, uh, clouds, my own glider. And, um, and and it's so engaging that it's quite addictive, actually, uh, because you, you, you enter into some sort of state of flow where you are purely focused on that thing and nothing else in the world. Have you ever thought about visiting or even moving to Colombia's lush and welcoming Coffee Axis? We at Coffee Axis Travel can provide a personalized service from before your arrival to guide you through the process of setting up a new life here in Colombia's coffee region. We will help you find a place to live, help you navigate contracts and leases, advise you on your visa application and how to open a bank account and more. With over 10 years of experience in this region, Erin Donaldson, originally from Reno, Nevada, can provide unrivaled knowledge about an area in which she is unashamedly passionate. Check out www.coffeeaxistravel.com for further information on half-day or full-day lifestyle tours and any bespoke consulting required in setting up your new life in Colombia. That's www.coffeeaxistravel.com, where you can get in touch. It's just, it is a you know I, that's very interesting to me, but makes perfect sense that on a day where you you let's say mellow out, there could be a more likelihood of an of an accident because your mind is not in the right place because you know you've obviously been captured by the beauty of where you are or something. Now there there are different types of, of you know there is the obviously the um uh hang glider do you do that as well hang gliding uh I wish but it's too many hobbies um, too many hobbies so yeah no I I've tried it as a, on the tandem it's amazing yeah. it's yeah. such a sensation it's different to paragliding in the how you feel when you're doing it yeah but I I think it's very puffy you know it's uh, too much hassle so I did that once uh, over Rio, and but I, it was it, the weirdest for me. It was the hardest thing. I was doing tandem, but it was running off, running off the cliff. I, that was the, the bit that I didn't like the most. Whereas when I used to do paragliding, you know, getting the the wing lifted up beforehand, and then finding the thermal to go, you know, I felt safer straight away rather than jumping off a cliff because <laughs> it's not a natural feeling. Um, this is this is kind of amazing, and you are a really you've got a whole host of awards and recognitions. You, I mean, the Colombian champion in two thousand and thirteen. Uh, uh, like we said, you won the Open, North American Open, which was held in Mexico. You've been on the podium many times. The British Open. Uh, I, I what what amazes me is that that obviously first and foremost, there's really no money in it, but secondly is is you know as as colombian champion you're not representing you don't represent colombia you represent great britain um and that's obviously because you are a british citizen now but how does it feel to represent a different country to the one in which you were born yeah that's uh thanks for asking that question because yeah it's it's um it's hard it, yeah. it was really hard to make that decision i was uh when i made the decision to 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 fly for the for great britain uh i was doing my best 
to make it into the Colombian team. Uh, I was going to World Cups. I went. I was the only Colombian in a World Cup Super Final. I was absolutely really kind heart and also negotiating with the local federation because because the the way the things were working in Colombia regarding the ranking, I, I was basically not not really allowed to compete anywhere else in Colombia if I wanted to make it into the team. So I thought that was really unfair and I tried to fight it as much as I could until I, I just couldn't anymore. And um, and uh, yeah, one day I came back from the super final, absolutely broke. I came back from Brazil having to borrow money from an ex-girlfriend. And it was just the bottom, you know, hitting rock bottom, calling the, the federation and asking them, hey, what's going to happen to my ranking? I just went to the super final of the World Cup. And is anything going to happen to my ranking? And like, they say, no. No, no, no. Uh, it's gonna stay as it is. So that's when I decided. Okay, I have no future here, and mm. I think it's a bit unfair. They are not thinking ahead. To, they are not. They want you to be the best in Colombia, not the best in the world. And I thought that was not the way to go. And and uh, I switched to the UK. I called uh, the team leader of of the British team at the time. I told him about my intentions. I didn't know the guy. And he said, okay, cool, welcome. Yeah, if you have the point, it's all good, you're welcome. And uh, it was very interesting because I was 24, and then I went to the European Championships in Serbia that same year with the, with the, with the British team. Yeah. And the youngest person after me was 40. So it was a bit like going on a holiday with your parents, <laughs> multiplied by three or four, you know, it's like... It was so hilarious. So, um, but ever since uh, there's this new young people that that have been motivated to come in and do comps in the UK, and mm. it's growing. Uh, we're getting better, and uh, now I've done maybe four, five world championships with the British team, and mm. uh, in 2021 we were world champions, which is a big accomplishment. Um, and this year we were with we silver. We 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 had the world championships in France, and the French absolutely destroyed us, destroyed <laughs> everyone. But they were playing at home, and uh, we got silver. So we were still pretty happy with that. And yeah, and uh, yeah, we 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 had a few awards. I had to go and dress nicely and go to Piccadilly <laughs> and get uh, get an award by. Some, some guy with a black tie or whatever. <laughs> it's been quite good. And, uh, and regarding, uh, and, and I had to come um, to, to to be okay with it. And, and, and I, I think in Colombia, they, at the beginning, there was a, a bit of a feeling that I was somehow a traitor and it was really awkward when I would go to, there was a world championship in Colombia and I had to go there with the British flag and it was the most awkward thing on the planet. And mm -hmm. um, of course, my heart shrinks a little when I see the Colombian team and when I see that I'm not in it. Um, yeah, for sure. But I still somehow try to give back. I I, I try to to share my knowledge uh, with, with the top Colombian pilots and uh, be a, be an open book. Mm -hmm. 
and, and, and see how much I can help and, and I'm good friends with everybody and everybody is accepting the fact that I fly for the UK and everybody's okay with it and by yeah, now but it's, and it's quite beautiful it's all good you know the, the opportunity was there and you weren't getting it elsewhere and it kind of feels a bit like you know some of the British Olympic athletes who are born in other countries but then grow up in England you feel a bit like that and we're quite yeah. good at that uh, even you know yeah. the English national football team and so on so you know it's not a it's not a stretch of the imagination but it does seem to me a bit weird that you should be discriminated against by the Colombian Federation for being international uh, it does it, it, it seems a bit and forgive me for saying it, it seems a bit parochial uh that that kind but you know so, so be it that's the way they've done it and it's it's been their loss you uh, in the british team <laughs> absolutely however like nowadays things improved in yeah. the in the colombian federation so they changed the ranking like today if i wanted to compete for the for the colombian uh, team I would be able to. Like, okay. I would be competitive. I would be probably top of the ranking by far, no problem, uh, which is totally fair. But yeah. um, at the same time, I cannot be ungrateful with the yeah. Brits, yeah. with the, with how much I've, I've, I've received and how much I learned from them. And, and, and I don't want to change something that is going so well right now. Yeah. I've had offers, like literally I've had them tell me, Hey, we want you to fly again for Colombia. Can we make it happen? What can we do? And uh, they really want me there again. And, and it's very nice. I try to be nice about it. I try mm. to share my knowledge to help in some other way. But um, at the moment, I cannot be ungrateful and, and be just like a like a flag on the wind, just switching whichever way is more convenient. Uh, I, I think I made my decision, and I'm, I'm happy with it for now. Yeah. Well, as a Brit. I thank you, and I thank you for that kind of. Uh, I I want to I want to ask you now is you know I know that a lot of my listeners won't understand how these competitions work because surely it's you know my my basic feeling is you go up you enjoy yourself and you try not to die, uh, so there have to be. You, we were talking off uh, recording. And you were explaining me to me some of the disciplines. Perhaps you could uh, explain the four disciplines for the co competitions in in paragliding. Uh, yeah, of course. So the the most basic one is uh, basically uh, accuracy paragliding, which is basically taking off. You have a point uh, at the bottom at the landing field. You have to land as close on the point or as close to the point as you can land. And then you get measured on how far you got uh, to the to the middle point. It could be one centimeter, two, three, one meter. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the competition, they just measure whoever lost the the left uh, distance to the point. Let's say. Um, uh, so that's that's accuracy. To me, it's mm -hmm. quite basic, but some people enjoy it, and it's very public friendly. So a lot of people like to watch and see the face and. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. When when you come in on accuracy, it's about landing still in that point, right? It's not like hitting your feet down and then rolling over. You've got to you've got to end up in that spot. 
Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's my least favorite, it's my least favorite discipline and I don't look too, long, too, too much into it. Okay. Um, Let's go to discipline number two then. <laughs> then we have uh, aerobatics, which okay. is cool. Totally cool. And it, it requires a level of training and technicality and, I don't know, commitment that is unbelievable and and in fact, in Colombia, there are two of the best aerobatic pilots on the planet. They're oh, yeah. both in the top five in the world. Uh, one is uh, Andres Villamizar and uh, Cesar Arevalo. They're doing amazing things. And they're at the top of the top of the world in, uh, in aerobatics. It's unbelievable. And basically, you, you, you go out there, you do your routine, you have a bunch of maneuvers that you can do. And... Uh, there are judges that will be qualifying you on the technicality of your maneuver mm-hmm. and how clean your maneuver is. Okay. And also, you are not allowed to repeat a maneuver unless you do it on the other side. So it's very technical. If it's a long competition and you are not repeating the maneuver, it can get very complicated. On top of that, they get they get a, a spot also on the landing. So mm-hmm. they need to do a very stylish landing with lots of speed drag the foot on the ground or the water and then do like a spin at the end or whatever. It's very artistic. I when, find it quite interesting. When it's aerobatics like this, acrobatics, is it like doing loops and so on? Is it doing spins yeah. and, and everything? Wow. And then the, the fear for me then, if you're doing a loop up and over, is that the wing might, you know, fold in on itself. Exactly. So that's, a, that's why they have to train so hard. So yeah. that that doesn't happen. And sometimes while training, they can even fall inside the canopy, which oh. is the most scary thing on the planet. Have you done and, that? Uh, no. <laughs> I almost had it once, but never in the canopy, thank God. And I hope I die without ever experiencing <laughs> that. I'm, I'm feeling um, a bit sick to my stomach thinking about that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, my God, no. Uh, okay. And then number three, we've done two. So number three is... Cross country, I think. Yeah, so we have cross country, which is the most, uh, let's say, mainstream. Uh, and in my opinion, why a paraglider should exist? Because, uh, they, well, a paraglider can cover unbelievable distances. You know, the world record is at 613 kilometers, which is unbelievable. Wow. I mean, what you can do with this piece of cloth is amazing. <laughs> um, so we do cross country races, which is like um, basically we wake up in the morning, drive up to the takeoff place. Uh, they give us a route based on the weather situation. And this route could be somewhere between 45 to 200 kilometers. And uh, you have it to complete it in one flight. We all take off uh, within the same hour. Then the race starts. We'll start the race at the same time in the air. And basically, whoever finishes um, the the track the, in the quickest way possible is the, is the winner. So whoever arrives first is the winner. Um, so for this, you have to really analyze the conditions in unbelievably well. So you have to look at the clouds, how they are forming, are they loading up, are they decaying? How is the wind doing? Where are the thermals kicking off? How is the terrain? Then on top of that, you have to look at the other gliders. We are 150 sometimes. 
you have to look at the others and make strategic decisions uh, based on what they do as well. And to me, it's the most beautiful thing on the planet to 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 do a paragliding race. It's just uh, so engaging and so wonderful. But of course, it's hard to explain to the general public. But it's amazing. It's amazing. This this to me is amazing because you know, as you say, that however many people up there, it must be really incredible to see so many but i also think, wanted to ask is it a bit like sailing where you can steal the wind from someone else or steal let's say the thermal is that like illegal to do like it is in sailing no so that's a good point like yeah you can not, not necessarily steal the thermal but you can you can win just by following the others so you can yeah. actually there is someone showing you a thermal you go there you climb with that person you are not stealing it away because that person still has it um but of course we use others we use each other mm-hmm. in order to progress it's a bit like we call it chuparrueda you know yeah. like when they when the cyclists are yeah. just uh, on the behind each other just so that they don't get as much uh, drag yeah we do something similar in paragliding which is just following each other so we get a better line uh-huh. um but at the end of the day, in my opinion, the best pilots win by making their own decisions. And is there a like a maximum height you can fly to? I have to ask this because there's so many of you, you've got to find space. Um, so it, it really depends on the place uh, because we have to follow, we have to abide by the, in Colombia, it would be Aerocivil, the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, aviation authority. So very often they give us limitations because the, the, the plane calls on need to fly. <laughs> um, so let's say in Valle del Cauca, on a normal competition, we would be able to climb up to 2,800 meters over the sea level. Um, that would normally be good enough. But sometimes we get limited to a lower altitude, let's say 2,400, which makes things a bit trickier. And then if you break this limit, you get penalized. Mm-hmm. So you have to really take this into account. So each, uh, each place has their own limitations. Some places have zero limitations, which is amazing. So then you can climb as high as, high as you can. Mm-hmm. But this is also determined by the meteorology of, uh, of the day. Okay. And then discipline number four. Discipline number four is the I think is the fastest growing one, um, and it's high flight. So it's it's basically a mixture between a, a cross country race yeah. and a marathon or a ultra marathon or whatever it is. So basically, uh, they get before the event even starts, they set out a route which is quite ambitious. So it could be I think minimum is two hundred kilometers. And some events are as long as 1,200 kilometers. And then basically, again, the winner is the first one to cross the finish line. However, in this race, uh, you can uh, run or fly, not enough. So that that makes things quite interesting because if you land uh, early for whatever reason, then you can hike up to the closest mountain, find a crazy takeoff place to, to start from, and then keep going. But this, uh, what makes this race as interesting is that they don't care what the weather is. So if the weather is bad, good, whatever, you still keep going. So um, for that reason, they can be probably the most technically the most dangerous, even mm-hmm. though the safety numbers are not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, but yeah, it's absolutely crazy because you have to endure whatever nature uh, throws at you. And uh, with the other categories, uh, if the weather is bad, they just cancel the day. Yeah. But with this one, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more fluid. So if, if the weather is bad, you may end up running the whole day. And some yeah. people run up to 100 kilometers in one day um, <sighs> with the backpack. So that's eight kilos, um, eight to 10 kilos in the back. So that's incredible. It's more of an adventure race. Yeah, I, I like the sound of this. Obviously, no, it's not something I do now, but I do like the sound of it. But it does seem like something that people would take more unnecessary risks in. Like the weather's bad. Oh, yeah, but I can still get, you know, I can still advance six to 10 kilometers even in this weather. You know, maybe it would be just a bit unnecessary on that one because I wouldn't want to run the 200 kilometers. Uh, and, and this to me sounds like it can take several days, right? So, I mean, are you running day and night or do you, I mean, people stop, they must stop. Yeah. You have like a curfew. Normally they, they have a curfew. So like the race I won locally here last year, the Eiger tour. And basically I think you have to stop at 8:30 at night. Mm-hmm. And then you find shelter somewhere. They don't care where. Maybe I take a train and go home or whatever. But the oh, next really? day, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the next day at six a.m. you have to start again from the mm-hmm. same exact point. So it is quite an adventure because lots of people end up sleeping up in the mountains, yeah. and camping out, or finding a hut or a refuge somewhere. And um, it's, it's it's pretty sick. It's pretty good. But but you went home. Uh, I, I have done that a of <laughs> Well, I guess it's, it's a benefit of being in Switzerland because the trains run on time then. And so you should. Know, yeah. So, how how long is the longest one that you've done then of the hike and fly? Not not very long. It's not particularly my specialty. My specialty is flying. So, I'm not so fast on the ground, which uh, is a big penalty in hike and fly. Uh, I think the longest has been like 240 kilometers in, in two and a half days. It's still a long way, Sebastian. It's <laughs> yeah. still a long way. And for someone like me who's very much sits at his desk, it is quite hard to understand. But it's amazing. I, I think this has been absolutely riveting, this conversation. I Because there's so much here that I just didn't know anything about. Uh, you know, especially the different disciplines. You just kind of imagine parascending, paragliding as a, as a, uh, you know, like a risky and costly pastime, as you say. Uh, but actually, you know, to hear this side of things and the sort of professional side of things and the athlete side of things has been really, really quite special. So I would like to say thank you so much for your time being on the line with us here from you know here in Bogota there in Switzerland late at night I also have to say thank you to Jonathan Munoz who put us in contact and he wants me to shout out to his friend who I think flies as well as Oliver Kutter uh, in Germany or in Switzerland who is a listener of the podcast so I have to mention those two as Jonathan and Oliver thank you so much uh, Sebastian thank you for your time it has been really I mean, it's been special. I wanted to show you something for those of you who watch on YouTube. Look, here's the Colombian flag, but watch. And there's the Union Jack. I got given this by the British Embassy. So Colombia on one side, Great Britain on the other. So that's that's very much your your flag there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the flag 
for me when Colombia and England are playing one another. So I have to bring that flag out. Otherwise, it's not. But uh, listen, thank you so much. And thank you for to your partner, Juliana, for, for putting us together. It kind of felt like she was organizing it. <laughs> for us uh but it's been it's been fun and i know that my listeners will enjoy this one a colombian in switzerland competing for great britain but having won the you know colombia having been the world champion in colombia i mean there's all sorts of things here it's just very special to hear uh a, a nice story of this type so thank you sebastian Thank you, Richard, for giving me this space, and uh, I love what you do. And keep on, keep on, keep on doing it. It's amazing. Well, thank you. I sh- we shall keep on, Emily and myself. We shall keep on. This has been episode four hundred and eighty-two. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If, uh, of course, you want to support us, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. And now we'll go over to a couple of messages from our sponsors. But thank you, everyone, for listening again, and bye bye. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own just complete the form on the columbia calling website that's www.columbiacalling.co or the bnb columbia tours website that's www.bnbcolumbia.com and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive colombian adventure so that's bnbcolumbia.com and latin news Thank you for supporting our sponsors.